0: Welcome to the Philia podcast. Philia means daughter. We are the daughters of the women who came before us, and we fight so that our daughters may be free. We are a women-led volunteer organization. Our vision is a world free from patriarchy, where all women and girls are liberated. We seek to contribute to the women's liberation movement by building sisterhood and solidarity among women, locally, nationally, and globally, by amplifying the voices of women, particularly those less often heard or purposefully silenced, and by defending women's human rights. Our podcast seeks to shed light on some of the most pressing issues facing women and girls around the world. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Filia team. So hi, I'm Sally Jackson, one of the volunteers
1: at Philia, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Joan Smith, um, columnist, activist, all-round violence against women and girls warrior, um, to, to talk about something that's in the news so much just recently, and that's this misogyny as a hate crime. Hi, Jane.
2: Hi, good to be with you again.
1: Thanks for joining us, and we, we asked to have a chat with you because we did talk about this briefly at conference when you, when you spoke this year but a things have happened since then and also we thought it was worth going into perhaps a little bit more detail because i think there's a little bit of confusion about um, what would happen if misogyny does become a hate crime so i wonder if we could start with just going to the very basics and what's the difference between something being made a hate crime um, on top of what other offense are available what what, what is a hate crime? You're right, there's a lot of confusion about this.
2: And if you say you're opposed to misogyny becoming a hate crime, people often behave as though, it's like saying, you know, that you hate motherhood and apple pie or something like that. Um, but I I have two problems. First of all, a problem with hate crimes as a category, which I'll come to in a moment, and, and then specifically about misogyny um, becoming a hate crime. So hate crimes at the moment, don't include misogyny so if a crime is is classed as a hate crime it attracts an aggravated sentence i.e the sentence becomes heavier because the crime is perceived by the victim as being motivated by hostility to one of the protective characteristics at the moment there are five disability um, sexual orientation and so on but sex was never included And on the face of it, it doesn't make any sense that sex isn't included because we know that misogyny is rife and affects half the population. So the people who are proposing, I think mostly for good reasons at the moment, that misogyny should become a hate crime. They're saying it's illogical to leave leave it out. And there is some force in that argument. What it doesn't do is deal with the objections, which are, first of all, that we have that making something a crime doesn't actually stop it. And there are better ways of dealing with misogyny. And secondly, that there are unintended consequences to it, which I'm sure we'll come to in in a moment.
1: And and this debate around whether or not misogyny should be a hate crime. um, This is nothing new, is it? This has been going on for, for quite some time now.
2: It's gone on for a very long time, and it came out of the McPherson inquiry, uh, where um, you know people were rightly concerned that some crime was motivated by racism, like the Stephen Lawrence horrible murder, and so the hate crime developed from that. The idea that that the if someone perceives a crime to be motivated by hate against one of the protected characteristics, that it should be treated as such. Now you immediately get into some difficulty because it's, be, it's defined as a crime motivated by hostility towards a, someone with the, one of the protected characteristics. But how do you define hostility? So if you actually look at the Crown Prosecution Service guidance on this, it says that there's no clear definition of hostility. So it lists a lot of things that might, might actually constitute hostility. And I'm afraid one of them is unfriendliness. Another one is resentment or spite. Now, you know, I'm sure lots of people exhibit those characteristics um, or that behavior on, on, on many occasions, but should it really be the, you know, should it lead to a criminal prosecution? and possibly even a prison sentence. So that's that's one problem with it. The fact that these that this is based on perception is unusual in law because you know you don't usually just take someone's word for the fact. And it, and actually that person I'm afraid might not be you know genuinely motivated by the feeling that they've been discriminated against they could be motivated by malice they they, they could um they could be narcissistic and and deem almost anything to be a hate crime um, i i think that there are dangers with hate crime legislation anyway but now the idea of extending it to to include misogyny is brings in all kinds of problems And and let's be clear: the the amendment that we're talking about, which was which was brought by Baroness Newlove, a crossbench peer in the House of Lords, and was discussed last debated last week, people talk about it as making misogyny a hate crime. That's not what the amendment says. The amendment says hostility on the basis of sex and or gender. So it doesn't specifically include misogyny. It actually includes misandry as well. So that would allow men who feel peeved about you know something a feminist has tweeted online to complain to the police that it's a hate crime. So you know we have to be clear that this isn't just protecting women, but also the fact that something becomes is enshrined in law doesn't mean that the law will be enforced and you know my fear that is that this one will be very because the police in a way quite like hate crime because they have a very high conviction rate it is eighty five or ninety percent. What bothers me is that why are people not making a great fuss about enforcing the laws we already have? So rape is against the law in this country. It always has been for many of centuries. Sexual assault is a criminal offence. Threatening to kill is a criminal offence. A lot of these things are not actually enforced. So I think, this, I think the latest figures are something like 65,000 Um, rapes were reported to the police in England and Wales in the latest period that we know about. And and that resulted in, uh, this is off the top of my head, no more than 1,500 convictions or guilty pleas. So the vast majority of women who report a rape will not see their, their attacker convicted, probably won't see their attacker prosecuted even. And we know that that's the tip of the, I know I don't like that phrase tip of the iceberg, but we know that vastly more rapes happen than a reported to the police. If you say, for example, that that, that 65,000 figure represents a quarter of the rapes that actually happen, which is reasonable going by, you know, the women who report to rape crisis centres and, and, and hotlines and so on, then we're actually talking about a quarter of a million rapes. In England and Wales each year, and about 12, you know 1, 1, convictions. I mean, this is what we ought to be concentrating on: the laws that are not being enforced. There are laws that should protect women, and they're not being enforced. And I fear that this is sort of this is perceived as almost an easy win. Isn't misogyny awful? Let's do something about it. Okay, let's make it a hate crime. And the question is, what then? Is this the most effective way we have of protecting women? I don't think it is.
1: No, and it seems to me that it is something that absolutely, you know, when you see it as a, a newspaper headline or a chief constable saying that they're taking violence against women and girls seriously, they support making misogyny a hate crime. It's a it's a good headline, isn't it? it it's it's good sort of clickbait, and it, you know, a bit of virtue signalling maybe around I'm taking, you know, I'm taking this um, really importantly. Enough. And one of the things that often comes up is uh, discussion around the the Nottinghamshire pilot and and that being shown to be such a huge success. And the reality is that we haven't seen murders and rapes diminish in in that area, have we? We haven't seen the very serious crimes that, as you say, women, unfortunately, um, are subjected to on a daily basis being affected by some crimes being labelled and targeted as misogynist.
2: If you look at what's happened in London since the rape and murder of Sarah Everard, at the end she she was attacked and and abducted at the beginning of March last year. By the end of that month, the the reported rapes in London had reached a 10-year high and we'd gone from something like, I think this again off the top of my head, we'd gone from about 640 rapes reported each month to uh, about 800. And we know that the you know the the actual rape prosecution and conviction rate is down to about one point four percent. So what we and there's something similar is happening. I see domestic violence going down the same route as rape that you get huge push from ministers and senior police officers saying, you know, we really care about this. Women must come forward. They must trust us. They must tell us about these crimes. And of course, that's been very successful and huge. There are many, many more rapes reported in this country now than there were even 20 years ago. Something similar is happening with domestic violence and that prosecution and conviction rate is going down as well. So women are being told to trust the police, use existing laws. And it's not happening. They're being let down on a massive scale. And I would much rather concentrate on actually forcing the police and the Crown Prosecution Service to make sure that that men are prosecuted for these very serious crimes, rather than something as nebulous, as misogyny as a hate
1: crime. And I mean, there's a key phrase that you said there that, you know, women are being told to to trust the police, you know, just even saying those words at the moment with. Um, and I was going to say everything that, be, that that we became aware of last year. Of course, this is not anything new. It's just that some reports have come to light. So you mentioned Sarah Everard, um, obviously. Um, Wayne Cousins, you know, finally um, being held to account for that. But I I think it was around 300 officers that were currently under investigation for some kind of domestic or or sexual violence offence within their policing. Just recently, we've heard the awful behaviour that a woman was subjected to because she queried a stop and search and tried to support a a young black man who who was being um, stopped and searched by the police. So it seems to me that we're being asked to trust people, that we are seeing day on day different reports about the misogynist attitude and actions of people within that very force.
2: That's absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more. And back back in la- last year in the summer. Um, I, I wrote a piece calling for um, a kind of McPherson inquiry into misogyny in the police. I mean, the, the, you know, I know a lot about the Met because I used to chair the, the mayor of London's Alliance Against Women and Girls Board, but I think, you know, there are examples all up and down the country. And, and I think that there is a huge problem of a misogynist culture in police forces, but also a failure to tackle it. So we know that predatory men are, attacked, are attracted to jobs, which gives give them uniform status, power over people. It's, Going to happen in the armed forces it's going to happen in the police, and there really needs to be a very clear mechanism for dealing with that, so that the women who worked with Wayne Cousins before, long before he attacked Sarah Everard, knew who they could complain to and knew that it would be dealt with. There, there, it's clear that I mean some some former police officers, some women have said that they were that they were afraid to report misogynist behaviour by their colleagues because they were afraid that if they found themselves alone in a difficult situation, their colleagues wouldn't come to their aid. There absolutely has to be, I think there has to be mandatory reporting in the police of misogynist behaviour. You know, if, if someone finds out that her colleagues are in a, or his colleagues are in a, a, a misogynist um WhatsApp group, for example, sharing pornography and things like that, there should be a legal obligation that that should be reported and that action should be taken, disciplinary action should be taken against those, those officers. And as you say, you know, I think it was something like it was getting under 600 um, Metropolitan Police employees, including serving officers, had complaints against them, including an, up to an including rate in, in a period of around five years. And very few of them were dealt with. And women who do complain about, you know, women in relationships with with cops who complain about domestic violence, they they're often investigated by friends of the of, of their partner. So the idea that we would put this these, an organisation like the police in its present um, incarnation in charge of deciding what is a misogynist hate crime is actually bizarre. Um, I mean, how can we? what we need is is an inquiry into misogyny in the police i think that's urgent and um i did ask uh, last summer i asked um the chief executive of the mayor's office of policing and crime and the deputy mayor for policing and crime if they would support me in calling for um that inquiry and uh, they didn't get back to me i i think i think that's urgent so yes you know i i don't think the fact that um that women don't trust the police can be separated from the fact that we've got, I mean, look at what happened after the terrible murder, murders of Bieber Henry and Nicole Smallman. We've got two cops who are actually serving prison sentences for taking Pictures and sharing them in a WhatsApp group when they were, when they were guarding the, the perimeter of the, of the murder scene. I mean, these are very shocking things for the, for the police to be answering for. Uh, last week, I think it was, there was a, a former inspector at Scotland Yard who was convicted for um, voyeurism, for taking pictures of, of young women, models and so on. You know, th- th- this is happening too often for, for, to use that argument about, you know, the one rotten apple. Um, we're way, way beyond that. And I think that has to be addressed before you know why would you ask forces like this to 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 police other people's misogyny when they don't address their own?
1: Absolutely. And you know, thinking of how you know difficult it would be for myself, speaking for myself as a, as a white woman to to put trust in in the police force, but then also the added discrimination faced by our black sisters um, mm-hmm. that we know. our our sisters that have disabilities face, that we know our lesbian sisters face, um, even more vulnerable to those power dynamics that play out in in, in that type of relationship, and yet, you know, the ones perhaps that are in most need of the support. But how how would you put your trust in in an organisation that not just We have become aware of some of the bad behaviour, but also the cover up of that bad behaviour. So it's not even being addressed, you know, in a systemic way.
2: It does trouble me when what we're seeing is a complete failure of the criminal justice system, both in terms of um, investigating serious crimes against women and prosecuting the, the perpetrators and these allegations of of serious bad behavior within the force that we're actually talking about making misogyny a hate crime, as though that's going to be be the the answer. Because to me, it's just a sticking plaster. It sounds good, it gets good headlines. I mean, you're right about that, but there's there's one more thing which I think we we have to look at, which is that because the, the, the amendment as it stands says sex and or gender, so what the argument here is that um, somebody could claim that they were the victim of a hate crime because of their gender identity. And that's really, really difficult because sex is observable. Gender identity isn't. I don't know what somebody's gender identity is, but it, put, it actually creates the, the sort of Orwellian situation where a woman might actually find herself being accused of a hate crime by a man who identifies as a woman because she doesn't agree that human beings can change sex. And some of the supporters of of this amendment are very, very clear that it's intended to include trans women, i.e. trans identified males, so and and I am absolutely clear about this i've been writing about misogyny since 1989. I know what misogyny is, and it's it's hatred and fear of women it's not hatred and fear of people men who who believe that they're women. you know if, if they want to believe that fine, but you know if it encroaches on the rights of, of natal women then that's that's the sticking point for me and i think I think people would be astounded if if they understood that this is where this amendment might take us. I don't think people fully realise that it is absolutely included. It, it, the people who want misogyny to become a hate crime, a lot of them actually want it to cover trans women who actually who are actually still, in, in terms of sex, male.
1: I, I think, and you know, as, as you say, you literally did write the book on misogyny. So, um, absolutely speaking to the expert here. But also, with, with the whole... And I I know self-ID hasn't come in by law, but what we're seeing is informally Mm -hmm. self-ID being accepted in so many many different areas. So we also have people who are very visibly male looking, who may identify as female, who if this law goes through, could then claim that if somebody suggested that they weren't female, that that was a hate crime that that was misogyny absolutely and and you know as we said at the beginning
2: of this discussion hostility is is defined so broadly by the um by the crown prosecution service so you know they if if unfriendliness or or resentment or something like that is actually all you have to show then it would be very easy, far too easy for a man whose gender identity says that he's a woman to accuse an actual woman, a natal woman of misogyny Um, if this this amendment goes ahead. I think it's it's a huge risk for women, this amendment. Um, It's a risk in two senses because I think it diverts attention and resources on the failure of the criminal justice system. And that's what I want to have addressed as I'm sure you do too. Um, you know, I want the police to have to answer for perpetrators in, in their ranks. I want them to have to do a much better job of investigating rape. I want the Crown Prosecution Service to bring many more prosecutions. I, and all of that takes resources and time. It takes a lot of time and resources. Whereas hate crime is relatively a relatively simple crime. And as I said earlier, there's a very high conviction rate. So in a way that the police quite like hate crime for that reason. But the second risk is to women who might face malicious, malicious accusations of misogyny towards men who say that they're women. And that really is I mean, I think the word Orwellian is, is overused, but I think it is the right word for, for, for that situation. Men can't be victims of misogyny. Misogyny is a crime specifically against women.
1: And, and we see... Um... know a fair bit of police attention um being targeted nowadays sometimes at at women who are being very clear that they support women's sex-based rights and you know be that by banners or or meetings or stickers um and police then investigating perhaps what you've written on twitter or, or you know the stickers that you that you've um affixed somewhere so presumably again if that was felt to be offensive by someone that you purely and simply for advocating for women's sex-based rights could be considered misogyny I mean this just sounds crazy it sounds crazy that's that's the route that we're going down
2: and I wish people who are supporting the amendment would actually think about where it might actually take us and how it how it might, I don't think it helps women very much at all. I think it actually brings a lot of risks for women, and I don't think people fully understand that. I mean, like I said earlier, you know, it's it's why on earth would why on earth would why on earth would I oppose making misogyny a hate crime? Surely it's a good thing, but actually, it's superficially you can see why it sounds attractive. It sounds like it's you know. A, a fair, because there are other hate crimes, but I just think that is misconceived. People don't fully understand it, and it could take us down that route of a woman who advocates for sex-based rights, a woman who advocates, for example, that a that a, a women's refuge should not have to admit male-bodied people. That that's a hate crime. That's where we're going with if, if if this amendment goes ahead.
1: And and I think you know filia. We're kind of aware of that because one of the bizarre things that's happened as this debate has has gone along um, was a a session around becoming an activist for um, misogyny that was run by Stella Creasy MP um, and to encourage people to come along and learn about it and and how they could advocate. And we applied for a place and were refused. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I shouldn't laugh. So a women's rights charity is not allowed to learn about misogyny. Because it was deemed to be inappropriate.
2: Well, I had a I had a tweet I had a Twitter exchange with Miss Stella Creasy, who you know, who I know slightly, and uh, she was absolutely clear, telling me that trans women will be covered by this law, and that trans women can be victims of misogyny. And, you know, I, I, I just don't agree with that. I just don't agree with her. I don't think human beings can change sex. And I think people can live the lives that they want to until the point it starts to encroach on other people's fundamental rights. And that's what we've got here, I think. And I, I just think it's too dangerous.
1: And and I'd just like to, to pick up something that you mentioned earlier, and, and it's an area of the de- debate, I think, that doesn't get hurt. Um, quite so often and it's this issue around it it not being misogyny that's the hate crime but it's something that is around your sex or gender that has, that, um, has been written in this proposed legislation so that would include misandry. Now it seems to me again thinking of the men's rights movement there's, um, you know, a huge opportunity for women to be negatively affected by being falsely accused of misandry when, again, you know, what they're doing is, is standing up for their own rights.
2: I think that's another huge danger. I'm glad you highlighted that because I think it's so, as a shorthand, this has been t- talked about as making misogyny a hate crime, but it's actually making hatred on the basis of sex Um, a hate crime. And that does include men. And, you know, we know that there's an imbalance in terms of misogyny and misandry. I mean, a few years ago, people didn't even know what misandry was. And, And of course, men have so much power that women don't have, both in physical terms and in other ways, that, of course, You know the the fact that there's still so much discrimination against women that we don't have come for come ahead in leaps and bounds, but we haven't full equality. So of course misogyny is is usually going to be much more prevalent and much more damaging than misandry. But you're right. I think that this will be a gift to men's rights activists. So. Um, you know, people think that they're empowering women by supporting the New Love Amendment. They could actually be supporting men's rights activists and, the, you know, the most extreme proponents of gender ideology who will use an, a, a law that's proposed to, to help women against us.
1: And, and this is the thing with legislation as well, isn't it? It is. Um, it's a bit of a blunt instrument um, in that, you know, something... You have to be so careful about the unintended consequences of, of any change and you know i'm'm I'm, I'm hopeful that you know generally when we first started talking about misogyny as a hate crime that was very much with good intent to try and um, protect women and and we know of course that you know violence against women is deeped in the culture of misogyny it's it's one end of of, of the continuum but i think what we're we're struggling with is, you know, not that misogyny isn't linked to violence against women, but that this legislation is not going to achieve what some are hoping that it would achieve.
2: Exactly. I don't think it's actually going to reduce misogyny. I don't think it's going to make the criminal justice system deal with, you know, whether it's misogyny within the police force or it's failure to protect women. And it may actually empower completely the wrong people and, and make women's lives much more difficult. It's you know I think it is mostly well intentioned, but it hasn't been thought
1: through. And so, what what can we do about it? Because we've just had uh, the vote in the Lords, um, where the government was defeated on on several aspects of the Police and Crime Bill, which we probably think would be a good thing around the whole protest yes. aspect of, of of the points that are in the bill. But it did you know, agree with misogyny, um, as they say it, becoming a hate crime. Um, yes, the government's defeated on the CSS. On that issue. So what happens next? And, and I suppose really importantly, is, is there still time for us to do something about it? And if so, what can we do?
2: It absolutely is. And what happens now is that it, it, the, the the Policing and Crime Bill goes back to um, the, the House of Commons. And I agree with you, a lot of the police, Policing and Crime Bill is terrible. Uh, and, you know, I would support some of the, the, the defeats in the Lords last week. But this amendment, the new Love Amendment, will be included in the uh, the bill as it goes back to the Commons. So um, there's a lot of organising going on. You know, the Fawcett Society, for example, is calling on, and um, women to write to their MPs asking them to support the new Love Amendment to make misogyny a hate crime. I think we we need to we need to ask women to write to their MPs saying the opposite. This might look superficially attractive, but it's actually a Trojan horse. And it it will have all sorts of unintended consequences. And it won't protect women from the everyday violence, the street harassment, all of those things that women face right right up to and including rape and murder. Um, So I think it would be really, really good if women felt able to had time to write to their MPs saying, this looks like a good idea. It's actually not. Please, please, please vote against
1: it. And it's interesting because, you know, the Law Commission is not famous for being radical, is it? But uh, their report, they looked into this in quite detailed way and, you know, whether or not sex, sex or gender, you know, et cetera, should become a hate crime. And they came back and said, in fact, it made me smile because they actually said, we know this isn't going to be popular, but actually looking at it, this is not good law. This is not the way to go forward. No, that, that,
2: that's right. And, and, you know, sometimes um, the fact that something popular doesn't make, make it right. And um, I think we actually do have, I'm not sure when it comes back to the House of Commons, but we do have an opportunity here. And, and MPs do listen. So if women write to their MP and say, look, you know, um, I, i'm absolutely um, in favor of women's sex-based rights i'm very concerned about the levels of violence against women but the new love amendment is not the way to deal with this it will have unintended consequences and it may actually put women at risk of malicious prosecutions while not dealing with the you know the overwhelming problem which is the which is the failure to address rape and to to use existing laws we have lots of existing laws that should be used to protect mm-hmm. women they're not being used that's what we need not a not supporting an amendment that makes everybody feel good
1: so what just to you know we've kind of said what we should what shouldn't happen what what can we push for to improve the prosecution rates because it it's kind of um catch 22 in that if there's no trust in the police then women are less likely to report or you know may say part of what happened, but don't trust the police enough to say, yes, I've taken some, some drugs beforehand. And then when that gets found out, the police accuse them of not telling the whole story. And you, you get that kind of um, catch. But if if there's no trust, how do we increase prosecutions? Well, what do we do to build the trust so that women do start to feel that they can come forward and, and stay with the criminal justice system? Or you know, is it time to, to start again, to rip it up and say this system doesn't work?
2: Well, women certainly do come forward. What then happens is that they drop out of the process because it's so, it's so elongated. It takes so long for the investigation and then, then the file has to go to the Crown prosecution service for a decision and women end up feeling as if they're on trial so their trust in a way is is undermined by the actual system there are so many things that would that would help so um, i mean first of all when there was a period when the metropolitan police were saying if a woman comes forward and says that she's been raped their initial response would be to believe her that doesn't mean that you actually abandon the investigation process. It simply means that you treat a rape report as the same as somebody reporting a burglary or that their car is stolen. You don't go into it with scepticism. But of course, when Cressida Dick became Metropolitan Police Commissioner in 2016. Um, she reversed that. So I think you have to get, you have, the police actually have to be clear that when a woman reports rape, they will take that at face value, they will conduct a proper investigation, and they will concentrate on the alleged perpetrator and not the woman. All this stuff about taking phones and um, interrogating, getting women's um, school reports and things like that, all of that Focus should be on the perpetrator and, and and not the woman. And also, the woman needs support. So, you know, there should be legal advice available to the victim, and they should have the support of an independent um, advisor who can actually update them on where the the, um, the prosecution has got to. All of this takes resources, and we know that that's a problem, and it costs money. But at the same time, you know how much is being wasted just in pure monetary terms, by the number of cases that start, the investigation starts, it drags on for months, the woman can't face it, and so she pulls out. I mean, victim attrition is, is, is one of the reasons that rape cases fail, and it's because victims aren't believed, they aren't supported. And you know, I've always said this, there is, if the longer that the case goes on, the more opportunity there is for interference with justice particularly in a case where the woman knows the perpetrator beforehand you know that she can be put under pressure by him his friends his relatives and so on there is every reason to to argue that rape rape conviction should be a priority for the police they should get lots all the resources they need and they should be relatively swift and they should focus on the perpetrator i think we'd see a very different picture of that
1: and, and in times when, let's face it, you know, resources are not plentiful, but surely this is the time to make sure that we are making the best use of the resources that we do have. You know, I wonder how much money is being um, used to, to promote this misogyny as a hate crime that could actually be being put direct into the criminal justice system for, you know, schemes like you're saying around supporting women, believing women.
2: Yes, when, when resources are so stretched if if a police officer is investigating a hate crime then that's one less officer available to investigate other crimes i mean it's very it's very obvious so, yes. so you know i think a lot a lot of police officers actually quite like it because it's a relatively uncomplicated investigation and there's a very high conviction rate compared to something like like rape or domestic violence um but i think you know it's it's a question of priorities and i think sexual and domestic violence should be the number one priority of police forces in this country. It never has been. And that's that's what you get, piecemeal investigations and um, key witnesses not actually interviewed or the woman feeling that she's not supported and not believed and so unable to carry on. I, I, it really should be at the top of the, the, the police agenda, particularly at a time when, when resources are so stretched.
1: And, you know, is there any way that a police officer with a history of domestic or sexual violence can work on those cases and be effective?
2: Well, the answer is so obvious that, you know, it's, I mean, what can one say, no. Um, and, and, And I think that's something that hasn't been taken into account in terms of when women are thinking about whether to report rape or domestic violence, the fear that the male detective that, that who's assigned to the case might actually have this history and they don't know about it. That's, that's another thing that happens when women don't have trust in the system and they don't have trust because we all know that the question of predators in the force is not being dealt with.
1: So again, that has to be a priority for the police, doesn't it, to... You know, really investigate who it is that are their officers. Who it is that are out there? You know, when you ring nine 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 and you need help, that are turning up to women in distress.
2: Absolutely, and and also, and also that there has to be support within the force for officers who do report this behaviour because it's clear that some do, men and women but they they fear the impact on their careers apart from anything else and being and being isolated by colleagues who are angry with them and so on. You know, I don't think there's sufficient um, there isn't a proper system for reporting this behaviour within the force. And that's that's a really urgent necessity.
1: So I think kind of feel we're sort of coming towards the end of the discussion and and it seems to me what we're asking for is some real action around misogyny, not some window dressing, which seems to be what this legislation might provide at best and at worst be quite dangerous.
2: Yes, I think I there's think a kind of... Um storm being of good feelings being created around this as though if only that this amendment this amendment can be passed then then everyone will feel they've really achieved something they've done something for women and I don't think that's the case at all I think it will make very little difference in terms of positive outcomes and it has some very big risks attached for women so I know it's harder to actually tackle the problem with the the criminal justice system but you know women women are half the population of this country the one of the first jobs of the state is to protect its own citizens and it's failing women and that's what we need to tackle um, rather than doing something that you know after the vote will make a lot of people feel very good about themselves but won't make much difference
1: As always, Joan, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. And of course, if you want to find out a bit more about misogyny and or domestic abuse, there's two excellent books that we can recommend and we'll put links to because they really are worth your time to read. Thank you, Joan.
2: Thanks, Sally. Always a pleasure to talk to
0: you. You take care. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. We are incredibly grateful to all the women who donate their time and their effort to create this podcast. That includes our guests, our interviewers, and our editors. You can find us on your favorite listening platforms like Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for Filia Podcast. Please help us reach even more women. You can do that by subscribing to our show, by sharing this podcast with your friends, with your family, and with your coworkers, and by leaving us a positive rating and review. Filia organizes the largest annual grassroots feminist conference in Europe. We would love to see you there. You can support our work by joining the Friends of Filia scheme, by giving a solidarity ticket so that even more women can join our conference and by subscribing to our newsletter. Please take a look around our website, thelia.org.uk to find out more. Together, women make magic happen, and we can't wait to be in touch with you.